Good evening, everyone. <laughs> How are you? I'm glad to hear that I am. Pleased to see you. I always am. I hope you had a pleasant day. I certainly had one. I thank God for it. Every day I wake up and realize I'm alive. I am very grateful to God. People die every day. They're dying as we speak, and I say that with solemnity and seriousness. And so the gift of life, regardless of your economic status, your gift of life is a tremendous gift from God. And he allows us to live for the primary reason that our lives may bring honor and glory to his name. That's why God keeps us alive and that we may come to know him and accept his will and order our lives according to the principles of truth as found in his word. I am always in a room downstairs, so I never see who sings and who plays. So I think it proper that I express my profound appreciation for those of you who've taken the time to sing and to play. Thank you for the exercise of your gifts in the name of the gospel. And may God bless you that you may always use those talents for his glory alone. And of course, for your blessing. So thank you from my heart and the ushers and all those who labor untiringly and willingly for the sake of the gospel. God bless you. And I say that from my heart. And to those of you who have come night after night, you've missed tonight, two nights, three nights, you're here for the first time, whatever it is, thank you for your presence here tonight. I want to offer a special prayer, not tonight, Thursday night, for those who are sick, I mean sick. But in preparation for that service, there's some things I want you to do. Because praying for the sick is not a theatrical show. It is serious spiritual business. Here's what I'd like you to do if you'd like me to pray for you and anoint you. One, if you've sinned against someone and you know it, try to find that person and say, I'm sorry. Two, if someone has offended you, and you have been unable to extend forgiveness, try to do that. Ask God for the strength, the Christ-like character, to extend forgiveness to anyone who may have harmed you, regardless of the degree of the harm. Ask God for the power. No one claims it's easy, but God requires it as necessary. And three, if there's anything in your life you know is contrary to God's will, we're asking you to confess it and put it away. All sickness is the result of sin. It need not be your personal sin, but all sickness is the result of sin. And so the more sins we confess and get out of our lives, the less likely we are to suffer all the frequent diseases that cripple us and lay us low. Three things. One, if you've offended someone, humble yourself and say, I'm sorry. If God has to humble you, you'll never be the same person. God never humbles a person pleasantly. That's why the Bible frequently calls upon us to humble ourselves. And God gives us the space to do that. If you humble yourself, you're far better off. And I try to choose my words carefully than if God humbles you. Two, if someone has hurt you, done you wrong, the way you and I have done Christ wrong, forgive that person as Christ has forgiven us. And three, if you know 
There's something in your life at present as you and I sit and stand that is wrong, that is sin. Go to God. Lord, I am sorry. By your grace, I set it aside. Whether you're healed or not, get sin out of the life. Those are the three conditions I ask you to carry out. And on Thursday evening, I will offer special prayer for those who have made the preparation using the anointing oil and pray and ask God to be merciful to us and to heal us as he sees fit. Tomorrow night, I'll ask you again. Wednesday night, I'll ask you again. Then on Thursday night, we'll have that service. I believe many people are sick simply because they will not ask God to do something in their lives. God has not forgotten how to perform miracles, and he's the same God in the form of Christ, I should say, who walked the streets of Galilee, healing all those who came to him. If Christ decides to heal one person in this congregation, try to think it'll be you, and make that preparation. And again, as I said earlier, the preparation is of great spiritual importance anyhow. It is always good to forgive. It is always good to confess. It is always good to repent. Any questions? All right. Now, if you so choose, this is not a requirement, but I would recommend it, fast on that day. If you plan to participate, I suggest you fast. And I will fast. So if you plan to be a part of the service, I am recommending, it's not required, that you fast. Whatever breakfast or not breakfast, but dinner you have on Wednesday evening, then eat nothing until the next evening after the service is over. Fasting is good. It helps us to understand to some small degree what Jesus had to wrestle with every day of his life, having to say no, no, no to that tremendous cry to go contrary to his Father's will. So I recommend that we fast if we intend to participate in the service, but it is not required. The requirements are confess to those you've done wrong, forgive those who've hurt you, and repent of any known sins in your lives. Any questions? I must tell you, I must confess something. I was rebuked twice this week. <laughs> nice rebuke. Say, Pastor, you preach too loudly. And sometimes you speak too quickly. So I am trying to speak slowly. But the time goes so fast that I try to keep up with the time. But the person was right. The person was very sweet. I want you to hear every word I say. Because I believe they're words given to me for you from God. So I will try. When I was rebuked, I said to myself, you know... It's the fault of the audience. They don't pray for me. You know how we are from Adam. We like to blame people. The woman thou gave us to be with me. So you pray and say, Father, help him to slow down. And help him to just lower the decibel level so we suffer no hearing damage by the time the series is over. So you do that for me and I will be happy. And I thank that person for the rebuke. I take rebukes very well. So if you have any more rebukes, bring them. And I will take them quietly and seek your help. All right. Yes, my dear brother. Blessings on you. Let us bow our heads now and uh, pray to the God who loves us.
and who wants all of us in his kingdom with him. Our Father in heaven, we ask you now in the name of Jesus, please help us to listen, help us to understand, and for Christ's sake, give me the words, my work is so heavy, it is so serious. One wrong word can turn someone away. And Father, none of us wants that. So in the name of Jesus and for his sake, put your words in my mouth and sensitize the hearts of your sons and daughters that truth alone may triumph tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Let all God's people say amen and amen. Our subject for tonight, how to get your prayers answered. Do you like that? How to get your prayers answered. How many of you right now have been praying to have a prayer, uh, some request granted? You've been praying for God to do something for you, not yet done. All right. How many of you have had one of your prayers answered? Can I see your hand? I'm happy to see the hands. God is pleased to see you acknowledging his work in your life. How to get our prayers answered? Go with me to Matthew chapter 14. We shall read verse 22. Matthew 14, verse 22 and 23 of Matthew 14. Those of us, or those of you who are here for the first time, may I see your hands? First time guests. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. I met one of you today, Brother Chris. Nice to see you. All of the rest of you, thank you for coming in the balcony. I can't, any first time guests in the balcony? No? All right. Matthew 14, verses 22 and 23. The Bible says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Now, what I want us to focus on is that Jesus went up into the mountain apart to pray. He sent the disciples away. There is no substitute in the Christian's life for personal prayer with God. It is good to pray with the family, but there must be that time when you and God alone are talking. Can you say amen? This is indispensable to your growth. And so Jesus left those men. He sent them over the lake to the other side, and he went up into a mountain apart by himself to pray. And he prayed just about from several hours. The Bible says when the evening was come, he was there alone. Let us go to Luke chapter 11. Luke 11, reading verse 1. Our subject is how to get our prayers answered. Luke 11, reading verse 1. Do we have that? Two books to the right of Matthew. The Bible says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Here again, we have Jesus praying. And perhaps the disciples were waiting quietly for him to finish his prayer. The Bible says, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. So praying is an art form that we learn, but it is never artificial. Always from the heart. And of course, Jesus proceeded to say, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven. Let us go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. 
John 6, verses 10 and 11. The very next book after Luke. And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the bread, and when he had done what? Given thanks. He distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them which were set down, and likewise of the fish as much as they would. Here now we have Jesus praying in public, giving thanks to his Father for what the Father was about to do by way of the miracle of multiplying the fishes and the loaves. So we have Jesus in the mountain praying just by himself. Uh, and that's in uh, Matthew 14, 22, 23. In Luke 8, 11, 1, we have Jesus praying in the presence of the disciples, but perhaps praying alone, but in their presence. Now, in John 6, verse 11, we have Jesus Christ giving thanks in the presence of thousands of people. John 17, reading from verse 1. Our subject, how to get our prayers answered. John 17, reading from verse 1. The Bible says, These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that my Son also may glorify thee. Here now we have Christ praying a very serious prayer. He is hours away from Gethsemane and from Calvary. And he prays from all through that chapter. Jesus prays to his Father. This Many scholars regard as the true Lord's Prayer. Some call it the high priestly prayer. Jesus praying for his disciples before he offers himself finally and ultimately on the cross of Calvary. What I have shown us is examples of Jesus Christ praying. Now, who was Jesus? He was God. But he was both God and man. The human side of Christ needed to pray. And it was no make-believe prayer. The humanity of Christ could not have survived the constant onslaughts of Satan if Jesus had not been in constant contact with his Father. Because Christ had laid down the independent use of his divinity. He had removed his crown, laid aside his kingly robes, and placed himself under the control of the Father, so that the Father would tell him when to do, when not to do, when to say, and when not to say. In this condition of dependence, Jesus found it necessary to pray. I spoke earlier about humbling ourselves instead of having God do it. Praying is one of the finest forms of humility. Why do I say that? I don't mean necessarily praying over breakfast at some potluck or praying over. I mean the sense of need. I need to pray. And throughout the day, whether on your knees, on your feet, or sitting, the person feels the constant need to talk to God. Why? Because without him, I am helpless. And so the frequency with which a person prays is an expression of the degree to which that person understands I 
without God am nothing. And so Jesus prayed. The disciples prayed. He taught them how to pray. Prayer. As some people have defined it, and there are many definitions of prayer. One, prayer is talking to God as to a friend. Someone has written, prayer is the secret of power. Someone has said, prayer is the breath of the soul. These are all correct. Prayer is an opportunity to fellowship with God. Many times, the Lord allows difficulties into our lives in order that we will come to Him and pray. It is not good for the child of God to have good times all the time. Now, I understand why you don't like that. But I I have to say it. It is not spiritually safe for things to go well all the time. There is a tendency, you see, the flesh is not dead. Its supremacy is dead. Its reign is dead. Its control is dead, but it is not dead. And it always tries to raise its head. And there's something in the flesh that says to us, don't pray, you're okay. Let me tell you something. When things appear to be okay, That's the time to pray hard. Because you're about to go around the next bend in the highway of life. And you're about to run into something. Before you run into it, prepare yourselves with prayer. Praying, not praying, troubles, trials, tribulations are God's way of bringing us on our knees. Not forcing us, but creating an opportunity for us to say, Father, I need you. I have not been coming. I am sorry. Thank you for this trial. Pray. How to get your prayers answered. There are several things we ought to keep in mind when it comes to prayer. And they might explain why some of our prayers are not answered. They might explain why they are answered. They might explain why we're still waiting. Number one, pray with the consciousness that you are walking in the will of God. What do I mean? A person who knowingly, consciously, deliberately lives a life of disobedience to God cannot expect to have his or her prayers answered because God will not honor and dignify disobedience by answering the prayers of that willfully disobedient person. Because when God answers a prayer, that's spiritual power. That's a mark, an expression of his approval of you and your request and your life. Any favor from God is an expression of approval. God cannot put his good housekeeping seal on a life that is deliberately in conflict with his word, his standards, and his law. And so I say to you and to myself, condition number one, is my life to the best of my ability lived in the will of God? And God loves to bless those who serve Him and obey Him. He loves to bless. 
Every blessing is a reminder of the goodness of God. God is not stingy. If God never blessed his people, why would anyone want to come to Christ? Why? The blessings he pours on us are an advertisement of his goodness and they attract people to Christ. He desires to bless, but God's blessing, I say, cannot be used as an endorsement for a disobedient life. And when I say disobedient, I mean in the light of knowledge. To the contrary, you know I shouldn't live that way, yet I live that way. And then I go to God as if prayer is an ATM card I use to get what I want from God. It is not an ATM card to get cash from God. Prayer is a privilege God has extended to us. And it works powerfully in the life of that person who walks in the will of God daily. Daily. I didn't say a prayer is only answered when someone lives a perfect life. I said when someone walks in the will of God to the limit and the knowledge that he or she has. Condition one, and I use the word condition deliberately. Walk in the will of God. Is it God's will that you not come to church? Is it God's will that you smoke and drink? Is it God's will that you cohabit? Is it God's will that we do all the things that disgrace him? No. If we're walking in that way, let's get out of that way and put ourselves in the path of the just that shineth more and more unto the perfect day and see how quickly heaven will open the windows and pour out blessings upon us because God honors an upright life. Number two, pray in the name of Jesus. Because Jesus said to do that. Jesus said, pray in my name. If he shall ask anything in my name, I'll do it. And whatsoever he shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Anything we ask in the name of Jesus, I don't say God gives it, but God considers it. Because the name of Jesus has power with God. But what does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? Sometimes I watch television preachers healing people or other similar experiences. And people believe just by saying in the name of Jesus, something magical happens. Let me tell you something. There is no magic, no power in, in the name of Jesus because there are just words. There are thousands of people in Hispanic countries or Latino countries called Jesus. That's Jesus. Are you with me? That's Jesus. So in there is more than one Jesus in the New Testament. You check it. Check your concordance. There are a few Jesuses in the New Testament. In the name of Jesus is not a magical formula to get God to open the storehouse of his blessings. There must be something deeper to saying in the name of Jesus. And there is because the name of Jesus is more than J-E-S-U-S. In Matthew 1.21 when the angel came to Joseph and said, 
And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Then he explains why. The name has a meaning. The name has a purpose. For he shall save his people from their sins. When I pray in the name of Jesus, I am praying with the consciousness that Jesus hates sin. I am praying with the consciousness that Jesus loves righteousness. And I'm praying with a consciousness that only a God can save me from sin. So Jesus hates sin. He loves righteousness. Jesus is God. And only a creator can save. All of that has to do with the name of Jesus. When I say in the name of Jesus, I must be conscious of the mind of Jesus. Which means that there must be some connection between my life and what the name of Jesus stands for. There is a funny story in the book of Acts. Don't go there now. Some professional exorcists noticed Paul casting out demons in the name of Jesus. Well, when you see something that works, you try it. These men went to cast out a demon saying in the name of Jesus. Not having the relationship with Jesus that Paul had. The demon said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. And he didn't say it, but I suspect he was thinking, and I respect them. But who are you? No, it's in the Bible. I won't tell you where. I don't want you to go looking tonight. The demon said, listen, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who are you? The Bible says the demon, the demon jumped on ten grown men. Uh, seven. It's in scripture. And beat those men. Tore off their clothes. They ran out naked and bleeding. In the name of Jesus did not work. Because they did not have that relationship with Christ. That made his name a living reality in their lives. Whether they were praying or not. Because the name is the character. When you say in the name of Jesus, you're saying, Jesus, your character is that which I desire day by day, moment by moment, in the name of Jesus. When you say in the name of Jesus, you acknowledge that Jesus occupies a position of high supremacy. He stands on the right hand of God, which is a position of power and control. All of this in the name of Jesus. Number one. Walk in the will of God. Does anyone know God's entire will? No. Do we know enough of God's will that we should walk in it? Yes. The question is not, do I know everything God wants me to do? Am I walking according to what I know he wants me to do? Walk in the will of God. Regardless of your age, you're six, you're seven. God's standards do not change. Two, pray in the name of Jesus. Three, pray according to his will. First John chapter 5. First John chapter 5. As we continue how to get your prayers or our prayers answered, 1 John 5, 
all the way to the back of the Bible, 1 John, reading verse 14, a very encouraging verse, 1 John 5, verse 14, the Bible says, and this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know He hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we desired of Him. Now, anything we ask according to God's will, He heareth us. Because we're limited, we are not always aware of what God's will is. But there's some aspects of God's will we know, but for which we never ask. Is it God's will that you study his word, yes or no? Yes. It was the last time you said, Lord, give me more time that I can devote to your study of your word. Don't tell me. When was the last time you knelt and said, Lord, rearrange my personal schedule so I can have time to study now, that's God's will. And he will rearrange your schedule. You say, Lord, it's your will that I witness to my neighbors. Please, I don't even know who lives to the left of me. Please provide an opening for me to witness. That's God's will. Let me tell you something. When we ask for those kinds of things, other things come without even asking. Why? So that God can keep you in his will. Is it God's will that you confess? Do you forgive that person who hurt you? Yes. Have you forgiven yet? Don't tell me. But what we do, we bypass the obvious aspects of God's will. We ignore them because we don't like them. Then we move on to unknown aspects of his will. And the way God functions is, he that is faithful in that which is least, you know to do this. Why bypass this and present this to me? Take care of this area of your life. Then come to me. Pray according to his will. How can I tell the will of God? God has a spirit. And the spirit, we're told in 1 Corinthians 2, searches the deep things of God. The spirit knows everything God knows. And when the spirit dwells in us through the word, the spirit prompts our hearts if we listen what to pray for and what not to pray for. I say again, if the Spirit dwells in our hearts through the Word, you can't separate the Spirit of God from His Word. He will prompt us as to what to pray for. That's why Jesus says in John 15, 7, If ye abide in me, and my word abide in you, then ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be given unto you. If ye abide in me, says Jesus, how do we abide in Christ? John 8, 31, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Walk in the will of God. Pray in the name of Jesus Christ. 
the Son of God, the Savior, the Creator, the King of the universe, our intercessory high priest, the one who's coming back to take us home, the one who overthrew the devil, defeated him, and is just coming back to finish him off. He has the devil on death row now, praying his name in accordance with his character and all that he stands for, all that his life represents. That is the name of Jesus. Pray according to God's will. There's something else we must keep in mind. Let's go to Psalm 66. Psalm 66. The subject is how to get your prayers answered. By the way, no one sermon can cover that completely. Prayer is such a big thing. Psalm 66, verse 18. The psalmist says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, finish that for me, the Lord will not hear me. What is regarding iniquity in the heart? Cherishing sin. I hate to say it, but some sins are sweet. You know, Moses gave up the pleasures of sin for a season. The Bible supports that. Some sins bring pleasure, but for a season. Like a lot of sugar in your system. Sweet, but you know the damage it can do. So we cherish these sins. We regard them. We find them difficult to give up. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Bible says the word heart, usually it means the mind, where I make decisions, the cockpit of the person's personality and, and consciousness. If I regard iniquity, the Lord will not hear me, however much I cry. Regard iniquity. What else could that possibly mean? I have spoken to people who said to me, I don't steal, but if you want to steal, it's okay. I don't smoke, but if you want to smoke, it's okay. I don't live together outside of marriage, but if you do it, it's fine, it's okay. I don't do it, but it's fine. Listen to me. Not only must you not do it, you must hate the fact that it's done anywhere. I didn't say that clearly. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. That's one weakness I need to strengthen or get rid of. It is not enough to say, I don't smoke. The Spirit of Christ should put in your heart a hatred for smoking anywhere on the earth. So if See, your neighbor does it. You don't hate the neighbor. You hate the fact that the neighbor is destroying his body. We must hate sin wherever it is. And the mind that does not hate sin, if that person lives long enough, may find that himself or herself committing that sin. Let me show you how Jesus views a mind that does not hate sin. Go to Matthew 23. If I regard iniquity in my heart, that's the text we're working on. The Lord will not hear me. Matthew 23. Reading from verse 29. 
Very interesting chapter. Read it in its entirety sometime and examine the seven woes that Jesus Christ pronounced on the scribes and Pharisees. Verse 29, warn to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchre of the righteous. That's what they do. Next verse. And say, if we had been in the days of, of, of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Now that's what they say. If we had been alive in the days when prophets were killed, we would not have killed them. That's what they said. Be therefore witnesses unto yourself, Jesus says, that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. What did Jesus mean? You see, spiritually, a child of someone is someone who acts just like a person. So as a child of Abraham, we are children of faith. So Jesus told the Pharisees, your father's the devil. Christ is saying, you are a child of those who killed the prophets because your mind towards me is the same as the mind of your forefathers to the prophets who came to them. And so in the eyes of Jesus, they were guilty of things they had not done physically. Now that's a tough standard of righteousness. Some people say, I've never been racist in my life. What did you ever do to stop it? Do you hate it in your heart? You pick any sin, any act of wrongdoing. I don't fudge my tax returns, but I won't condemn the guy who does and we have this attitude this this schizophrenic view of wrongdoing we must not avoid doing it we must not only avoid doing it we must hate the fact that it's done and there's some christians who regard iniquity in their hearts not because they do it physically but because they are not opposed to it i'm still not sure you understood me And if that's the mind we have, we have a mind if we live long enough and the correct circumstance arose, we would do precisely what we're not opposed to. The level of cleansing God desires for us is not only that we not do it, but that in the very depth of our soul, we hate the fact that this behavior exists. And there's some organizations I respect highly. Doctors Without Borders. Amnesty International. People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. And others. Who are not particularly concerned with the color of your skin. Where you live. There's a war. You're suffering need medical care, they just hate the fact that people suffer, so doctors without borders, they go, they go. We just don't want people to suffer. There's a need for medical care, so we're going. We're just in the, at the very root of our souls. We hate to see people suffer. We're going. It, we just hate it. It's an organic feeling. I hate it. I'm going at the risk of my life.
they do not regard suffering of others in their hearts. They hate it. My brothers, my sisters, is there a sin that you and I regard in our hearts? It blocks the answers to our prayer. Our prayers don't even escape the roof of our mouths. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not, because it was iniquity, whether acted on or thought upon, that put Jesus Christ on the cross. And he's the one who is the medium through which God communicates his blessings to us. Once your prayer is answered, let us walk in the will of God. Do we know what's right? Many of us have learned some things during the past two weeks. Have we brought ourselves in line with what we have learned? We pray in the name of Jesus. We pray according to his will. We have to be sure we do not regard iniquity in our hearts. Go to Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28, our subject is how to get our prayers answered. Proverbs 28. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9. The wise man, Solomon. Do we have that? The Bible says, He that turneth away his ear, from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. He or she that turneth. You know, Paul told Timothy in Second Timothy chapter 4, I believe, verse 4. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. You see, once you turn from the truth, you've got to turn to something else. That's the way it works. You can't turn from the truth and stay on neutral ground. It does not work. The action that turns you from the truth turns you to error. So Paul tells Timothy, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Paul told Titus in Titus 1.14, not giving heed to Jewish commandments and doctrines of men that turn from the truth. You turn to doctrine of man, you turn from the truth. Jesus said in Mark 7, Full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. Once you do one, the other happens. Are you understanding me? So when you say, I reject this truth, you're simply saying, I accept the error, the doctrines of devils, as predicted in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, verse 1. The Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. When a man or a woman turns from the truth, you are turning to doctrines of devil. The Bible says, he that turneth away his ear, this is not accidental. This text does not address those who just never had a chance to hear. It does not address the ignorant. By ignorant, I mean biblically ignorant. It does not address those who have no opportunity. It addresses those who have heard and will not heed. And God doesn't... You know, we had a saying when I was a little boy. 
God does not chew his cabbage twice. Meaning when he says something, he means it. God says, if you turn away your ear from hearing my law, not only will I not hear your prayer, your prayer will stink. It's an abomination. Let me ask you a nosy question. What aspect of God's will are we turning away our ears from? Because they don't suit us. They're not convenient. You know, <laughs> the battle to live an obedient life is one we must never underestimate. Because if we were to sit down and say, Lord, for five seconds, infuse me with a concentrated dose of honesty, we would write down areas in our lives where we know we're fighting God. Not guesswork. We know we're fighting God, just will not let go and obey God. And the longer we fight God, the more damage we do to ourselves. And so God warns us. If you do that, you run the risk of your prayer offending me. He that turneth away his ear, deliberate from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. How to get our prayers answered? Walk in the will of God. Pray in the name of Jesus. Pray according to his will. And the study of God's word will gradually reveal God's will to you. Your taste, your desires will change. You'll begin to pray for different things. You see, when a man goes from being flesh to spiritual, he has different desires. Do you understand? That's why Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3 verse 6, That which is born of the flesh is... And that which is born of the Spirit is, they are absolute opposites. And so someone in the flesh prays a certain way. Someone in the Spirit prays a different way. Someone in the flesh makes certain requests. Someone in the Spirit makes different requests. Pray according to the will of God. Don't regard iniquity in the heart. Let us learn to hate all sin. First in us and wherever else there is sin. We cannot hate people. Jesus never hated people. We must hate the presence of sin. Let us not turn away our ears from hearing the law. Most of the world do that, does that. They know, and you've heard me say this before, that the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. They won't do it. And so they deliberately turn away their ear from hearing the law. Now I'm not referring to those who have not fully understood, those who have not been convicted, those who know, like the man I mentioned to you in Detroit, his wife went to him and said, listen honey, this man is offering $2,500 if you can show him one Bible text that says Sunday is holy. The husband said, I can't find the text. The wife said, why don't you keep the Sabbath? He said, I was born a Sunday keeper. I'll die a Sunday keeper. 
There are some people who know it's bad to smoke. And the Bible says, if any man defy this temple, him shall God destroy. They smoke nonetheless. And so God says, when we deliberately offend him this way, how could he possibly honor our prayers? How could Jesus be the medium between us and God? It will not happen. Yet God does not abandon us. God is so merciful, even to his enemies. How to get our prayers answered? Don't give up too easily. You know, Isaac, when he married Rebecca, she was barren. In verse 20 of uh, Genesis 25, and the Bible says, And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife, for she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah his wife conceived. Now verse 20 of that chapter, I believe, says that Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife. Either verse 20 or verse 19. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife. We're told later down the chapter that Isaac was 60 years old when she bare Esau and Jacob. What does that tell you immediately? Isaac prayed 20 years. 20 years? Now, please don't panic. I'm not saying it always takes God 20 years to answer your prayers. But sometimes, if it suits God, he will keep us on our knees. Because if he answers immediately, then the praying is over. We jump off our knees and we're gone. And sometimes God has to keep us on our knees by delaying the response, which he so earnestly desires to give. But sometimes, for reasons best known to him, God will delay the reply. That is where trust in God's overall will comes in. He knows what's best. Romans 8, 26, we know not what we ought to pray for. That is hard to swallow. I don't know what to pray for. I have no rent. I have no food. What do you mean I don't know what to pray for? The Bible says we do not know what is absolutely best for us at all times. We just don't. That's why the Spirit has to make intercession with us by groanings which cannot be understood. Now brings us to another condition. Pray in the Spirit. What does that mean? Acknowledge the role of the Spirit in the exercise, the experience of prayer. We pray to God. We pray in the name of Jesus. But we pray through the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit is not in it, Christ is not in it. And if Christ is not in it, the Father is not in it. So that when we pray, we are conscious of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And when we receive a reply, the reply comes from Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. All of heaven is prepared to respond to our requests when we pray according to God's will and the way that God has laid out for us through careful study of his word because God desires to answer us. Pray according to God's will. Walk in his will. Pray in the name of Jesus. Pray according to his will. Don't regard iniquity in the heart. Don't turn away the ear from hearing 
God's law. And if of all of these I can stress one, it'd probably be that one. Oddly enough, pray without ceasing. Pray through the Spirit. Be conscious of the fact that as a limited person, we don't really know what's best for us. That's where trust in God comes in. Pray persistently. And pray biblically. Now that is powerful. What do I mean? Let us say your children have gone astray and you want God to bring them back. Your heart is broken. You brought them up in the church. You've left. You get on your knees. You know this, the Lord saved. You say, Lord, you said in Isaiah 49, verse 25, I will contend with them that contend with thee, and I will save thy children. Lord, you said that. Here it is. Now, Father, if you meant it, if you meant what you said in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, if you mean that, please go in search of my children and bring them back. Your wife has left you, left the church, and you like her back. You say, Lord, you said in Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, because the husband is the savior of the body. I want to save my wife. I want her to have a place in the kingdom. I am coming to you as savior of that body, even as Christ is savior of the church body. You said that. Now, Lord, hear my prayer as I, as a human savior of my wife, I pray for her salvation. Bring her back to you first, then to me. Pray biblically. Let God see what he said. This is not a way to corner God. God delights to be brought in contact with what he said. You're returning your tithe faithfully and you have some pressing needs. You go on your knees. You check your life. Always check your life first. It's never God's fault. Come on, say amen. It is never God's fault. Check your life for any known sin. Confess it. Father, you said you would open the windows of heaven and pour me out a blessing. Uh, Malachi 3, verse 10, 11. Please, Lord, open the windows of heaven. Pour it out. Challenge God. What does God say? Prove me now herewith. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So pray biblically. You read the prayer of Jehoshaphat. When three nations came against Judah, Ammon, Moab, and Seir, Jehoshaphat prayed. He said, Art not thou God in heaven? Second Chronicles 26. Art not thou God in heaven? And God said that. And dost not thou rule over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And God said that. And is there not in thy hand power and might so that no one is able to withstand thee? God said that. Art not thou our God that has drive out the inhabitants of this land from thy people Israel and gave us into the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever? And God said that. Hosea said, Now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Seir, which thou wouldst not let the children of Israel destroy when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned away from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. And God couldn't sit still. Then he closed the prayer in verse 12. 
Oh God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. He reminded God of his word. Then he challenged God with great respect. You and I know the result. Tremendous victory. Not one sword had to be lifted. Not one. My beloved brothers and sisters, prayer is the very breath of the soul. Prayer is a means, along with the word of God, of resisting temptation. When you're discouraged, pray. Pray for someone else and forget your problems for five minutes and see how differently you feel. Prayer brings the angels to your side. Prayer lifts you into the very throne room of God without appointment. Walk in his will. Pray in the name of Jesus. Pray according to his will. Do not regard iniquity in the heart. Don't turn away your ear from hearing what you don't like. Obey God. Pray persistently. Acknowledge that you don't know everything. Pray in the spirit. Don't give up. And pray biblically. Did you not say? You've got a card. Write a prayer request for me so I can pray for you. Send it up. I will collect it if you have a card. We can get you one. Send me a prayer request. Let me pray for you. One of those requests should be, Lord, I've fought you enough. Give me the courage to obey what I have heard. Lay down all opposition. Let that be one of your requests. Lord, I need to make a decision to be baptized. Give me the power to make that decision regardless of who agrees or disagrees. Lord, I've seen your way. I need to walk in it. Give me the courage to do that. Pray, my beloved brothers and sisters, pray. Pray from your heart. Pray without ceasing. Pray when you drive. Pray when you work. Pray when you walk. When you're in the park. When you're playing. Pray. Let there be no breaking of the contact. The more you pray, the more the devil has to wait until your mind is not occupied with God. Keep the devil waiting. Pray. How many of you will say, Lord, help me to pray far more than I do? Can I see your hands? God bless you. Let's stand for prayer. Let us stand for prayer. Source of power in cooperation with the word of God abiding in our hearts. Pray. Pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you asking you, please, to open our eyes and our hearts to understand the importance of praying in the spirit, in your will, in the name of Jesus Christ. Praying persistently with an understanding that we are limited and leaving the outcome to you. As we pray in the name of Jesus, his character, his mind, all that he stands for, hear our prayers to your glory and our blessing. Bring us back tomorrow. Continue to convict hearts and save us when you come. We pray from our hearts in Jesus' name that all those who love praying say amen and amen. God bless you, my beloved brothers. Come back tomorrow. Remember the special prayer service for the ill on Thursday evening.